Hello and welcome to We Are History. I'm Angela Barnes. I'm John O'Farrell. Oh, we've got a meaty one today, John. We have. We're doing a request this week, a John. A special request. It's time. like the Jimmy Young show. <laughs> oh, we should have the um, our tune music playing in the background. No, we thank you again for all your requests um, that you and we will get round to them. Uh, well, some of them, some of them, not all of them. ideas, not all of them. You know, if they interest us, yeah. we'll do them. Thank you, Emma Ducks, for your suggestion. We're going to do Watergate. We uh, are. It's a bit of a complicated one. I printed out Angela's notes. It's about a hundred reams <laughs> of paper. It goes back to the Pilgrim Fathers discovering America. I, I just want to point out at this point, John, that if you weren't so old school and just read it off the screen, you wouldn't have had to print any pages out. So <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm looking at you. And... <laughs> I think it's worth pointing out at the top that, I mean, we are dipping our toe into some incredibly murky waters when yes, we talk about yes. the whole Watergate affair. Um, we probably and... have to presume that people know nothing about it. I think we should probably say at the yeah, top. So yeah, we don't know which president absolutely. we're talking about. You know, when, which period we're talking about. So we'll, 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 we'll do it as yeah. if you don't know anything about it. I'm sure lots of you know some about it. Have seen the, all the presidents' yeah. men, or have watched the series or the documentary series that was on a while ago, which was very good actually. It's one of those things, isn't it? That well, I mean, Watergate obviously has a big uh, impact on our society in. in no more as the, the name Watergate led to the whole gate suffix thing being at suffix. So yes. it's, it's, you know, it's plebgate or, you know, or, yeah, whatever, gate, it is. whatever scandal, it's always gate. It's like, you know, a Findus horse meat gate or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. They just stick gate on the end. It's a scandal. It's annoying actually. I, th- I think what this episode really does is it really highlights that difference between government and politics, right? But okay where the job of a government's to govern and the job of politics is to stay in government. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that we're not necessarily taught very explicitly no. or the sort of machinations of politics, the, the effect they have on government. My take on it is that democracy is very young. And mm. uh, in the first 100 or 150 years of democracy, the voters were like little children trusting their parents and thinking that their mm. parents always had their best interests at heart. And suddenly... Always altruistic. Always altruistic. And suddenly they get to puberty. And in 19, <laughs> 1960s in Britain, you have the Pumo scandal and everyone goes, hang on, mm-hmm. the politicians are all a bunch of liars. Wait a minute. And They're Ameri- all self-serving. Yeah. And a decade, a a decade later in America... The same thing happens. Watergate was the turning point for the general population to go, hang on a minute, these guys cannot be trusted to tell the truth. And the presumption mm. of honesty and good intentions was lost, I think. It was a, Absolutely. It, it was a bit, that's, the, that's what's be, significant about it, I think. Definitely. Because, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, we know that all presidents <laughs> behave in, in that... Questionable ways. But... This is the first one where to the general population went, hang on a minute, yeah. this is... Yeah. So let's go back. So Richard Nixon, he's previously been vice president. He's previously... Um, yeah. He's elected in 1968. As now, president, yeah. As president of the yes. United States. Now, it's worth... This is around... Obviously, you've got... Lyndon B. Johnson was before him. Yeah. And his campaign suffered because of the Vietnam War, which yeah. is still raging. Well, he didn't stand, and... actually, in 68, to be fair. He decided to stand down. Um, oh, yeah. Bobby Kennedy Bob- looked, Bobby Kennedy, looked like favourite was... to get it, then was shot. And then was shot just after he was yeah. um, uh, So Hubert Humphrey lost to Kennedy. Kennedy had just been beaten, only narrowly beaten, mm. by JFK in 1960, 100,000 votes in it. Yeah. Uh, finally became president, having been VP throughout the 50s. He finally became yeah. president in 1968. 
Yeah, and the Democrats, obviously, uh, which is what I meant to say instead of LBJ, that the, the yeah. Democrats have suffered because of, of what's happened in Vietnam, the yeah. Tet Offensive, everything else. Yeah. So we have President Nixon, Republican uh, from California. Yeah. He is inaugurated in January 1979. 69. 69. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. yes, I'm looking yeah. ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, he won the election in 68, inaugurated 69. Yeah. Now, from end of 1970, beginning of 1971, his campaign for re-election right. begins. Right. right. Because as we said at the top, it turns out the most important thing to people in government is staying in government yes. rather than actually yes. governing. You so, know, hence Trump 2020 campaign yeah. started pretty much the minute he was in the White yeah. House. So was Richard Nixon's campaign for re-election fair and above board, Angela? Was this Obviously a- it was. was well, right. Well, I mean, the fact that it was, I mean, it was called the CRP, the Committee for the Re-Election of the President, but was known generally to everybody as creep. Okay. I don't know if that gives you any indication. I have to say, the Brits, the Brits would have gone a different way with that, wouldn't they? CR, yeah. they would have gone crap, wouldn't we? <laughs> Definitely would have gone crap. Um, um, if you want to imagine what the Committee for the Re-Election of the President looked like, yeah. um, it was a smorgasbord of white middle-aged men. Right, uh, all doing Sort of anything. imagine the kind of physical yeah. embodiment of gout. Right? <laughs> but they were, they were up to all sorts of things, weren't they? Covert, sabotage, uh, forge, well, forging letters... I read one. Well, let's go back. Yeah. Let's because the Pentagon Papers came out in nineteen. I think that's an important starting point. Okay, explain what that is. So, in June nineteen seventy one, a lawyer Daniel Ellsberg he releases. Well, he released them a bit earlier, but they were printed in the New York Times in nineteen seventy one. The Pentagon Papers, and these were papers that discussed basically the government's strategy for Vietnam over the previous. Decades. And saying the war had not had never been winnable, wasn't it really? Basically, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that um, you know, the main goal was not about supporting the South Vietnamese, but more about yeah. socking one to China. Right. Now was that damaging to Nixon? It it was it was more damaging to the previous right. administration, really. However, this led to the formation of something that was called the White House Plumbers. Okay. Now, the White House Plumbers were the... So the Committee for Re-Election of the President, on the surface, just a campaign yep. committee, yep. right? But you had... They were very uh, distinctly linked to these people that became known as the White House Plumbers, and they were an intelligence operation, a campaign intelligence operation. Underhand, it basically. sounds to me. It sounds underhand. It Sa- starts to sound a little bit dodgy. Yeah. So you had... The chief operative was a man called G. Gordon Liddy, yeah. and you had E. Howard Hunt as well, and that, who was ex-CIA. Yeah. And Nixon had an enemies list. Oh, God. Uh, that was drawn up, which is never a good thing, never is good it? Sign, I've is never it? heard that that's a good yeah, sign. Yeah. And the plumbers and the CRP became involved in a lot of um, underhand operations to discredit any opposition. rivals, any opposition, yeah. be that Democratic rivals yeah. or rivals within the Republican Party. Wow. Um, and there were so many people involved in the plumbers and the CRP that I um, to name them all it just becomes white noise of white no, men's name. No. I did but, read about I did read about one 
thing that they did, which was not only were they forging letters and mm. from from Democrats, they also went through a hotel stealing the shoes of all the Democrats mm-hmm. who'd put them out to be cleaned. So when they woke up next morning, they had no shoes for their meetings. It's like that Just, was the level of sabotage, you know. Absolutely. They would do things like they would lure Democrats um, to bars, certain bars and clubs where they would have it set up. So they'd be photographed with prostitutes uh, wow. Um, wow another thing they did they um broke into the psychiatrist office of um uh, the daniel ellsberg the guy who'd released the pentagon papers to discredit him so to wow. get any notes from his psychiatrist to discredit yeah. his um crazy crazy so they were up to all sorts of and they called it there was one of the lawyers involved with the plumbers was a, a guy called donald segretti and he later spoke to journalists about it all. They called it rat fucking. Um, oh, lovely. We've all done it. lovely name. <laughs> we've all, who can honestly say they haven't fucked a rat? But it was What like... is rat fucking? What is rat fucking, Angela? If it's not what it actually sounds like. If you, I do recommend reading All the President's Men, uh, which we'll come okay. on to a bit later. But it it's like sort of um, frat, frat boy stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That they were up to. It was real. And a mm. lot of these operations they did were basically just initiation ceremonies so there was a guy who actually was a journalist at the washington post who then went to work for nixon um as a a press spokesperson yeah and he um he wrote a letter a famous letter that was called the canuck letter and it was basically a letter that he forged to discredit um a democratic candidate um uh, like a potential presidential candidate and he basically did it because it was an initiation into the Nixon administration. It was so like, the, the, you yeah. know. It, so when you talk about the uh, them all being a bunch of, uh, sort of white men, I think the sort of privilege of these people is a factor. They think they're completely uh, untouchable. They're they playing think they can a game. get away with anything. They're, yeah. they're but they think they can get away with anything yeah. and there's an arrogance to it. Yeah. And then it, and it culminates in this, well, it culminates with probably not from their point of view, but, you know, the, the start of our story of Watergate is mm. this, burglary is that uh, is that where we're heading towards we are heading towards it so um it is june 1972 it's election year so the committee to re-elect the president is going full guns at this point yeah. right in order to try and get nixon re-elected yeah. and i should explain what the watergate complex is um it's, yeah, it's a, a, it's a hotel complex basically in conference centers etc yeah massive in, in dc in, in, Do- washington, in washington dc, DC. yeah and the Democratic National um, convention, is it? convention, thank you, I forgot the yeah. word then. Yeah. <laughs> their, their head office is in the Watergate complex. Yeah. And on June the 17th, 1972, there is a break-in at the Watergate right. complex. And yeah. this is a break-in that it transpires later was the brainchild of this plumber's Wait creep yeah conspiracy yeah. so there's five so there's a i think there's a they show it in the film uh all the president's men but mm. basically some someone on the opposite side of the building it's like sort of rear window or something like a yeah. you know like a hitchcock but they see the lights going on and off and torches in the in mm. the darkened rooms it wasn't the first time they'd broken in they'd broken oh, really? in before the point of the burglary was to photograph documents and plant listening devices in the right. democratic and- headquarters right and some security guy stumbled on them something. Didn't and they? so they went yeah. in the first time. The listening devices didn't work, so they had to go back. And the second time they went back, they got caught. It was five they, men. 
uh, they've got caught, caught and it's like what are you doing here well this has been a very testing testing time for us <laughs> this has been, uh, oh, you can ask John. us anything you anything you want to Dude. want to ask us anything you want to <laughs> <laughs> they were all hiding weren't they behind a desk and said don't shoot don't shoot these five guys and uh the security guard sort mm. of basically stumbled on this massive he didn't have no idea what he'd stumbled upon really well the burglars themselves there were five of them uh, I believe yeah. two of them were Cuban exiles. Yeah. And there was um, a, another guy, James McCord, was quite interesting. He was one of them. He was a former CIA officer and FBI agent. Yeah. Um, and there was Frank Sturgis, who was a military serviceman, spy and guerrilla trainer. That's guerrilla, not gorilla trainer. He didn't work in a <laughs> no, zoo. I think, that, I think <laughs> the spell with the O is more interesting. <laughs> it's back to Homo sapiens again. It was sort of believed at this point that this breaking wasn't, the significance of it obviously wasn't known at this point. It was no. thought to be maybe, and I think possibly one mm. of the judges described them as crazy Cubans. Um, yeah, and it was like maverick, communist, ma um, maverick anti-democrats. You know, exactly. were, no one, no, no one thought, oh, well, this goes right up to the top. No, because another thing that had happened, obviously, on the that this is during a campaign period, right? So yeah. there were a lot of um, anti-communist agent provocateurs, at democratic demonstrations, trying to rile them up, trying to cause yeah. unrest and things. There was a lot of underhand stuff going on at this time. Journalist was called. Yeah. yeah it's a weekend. It was, it was Friday night at the Burgery, so it was a Saturday. Saturday do morning. I really have to, down, do I have to go down the courthouse and listen to what this is? And But <laughs> this I think is... it was like suspicions were raised almost immediately with these journalists. Yeah. Well, this is Bob Woodward, who... Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein are the two sort of young, relatively yeah, inexperienced yeah. reporters from the Washington Post. Bob yeah. Woodward gets sent down there, uh, played by Robert Redford in the film. Oh, um, oh. But he has yeah. a an FBI um, informer, Bob Woodward, yeah, that he yeah. uses, uh, known it's, it's, as Deep yeah. Throat. Um, named after the, the named porn after film the of the time. Film. I mean, I don't know again, about that, John. I don't know. Again, if this was in Britain, it'd be carry on camping oh, yeah. or something, or <laughs> Confessions of a Driving Instructor. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, what was his name? The Confessions film guy. Oh, Robin Asquith. Robin Asquith. No, Asquith. That's it. Was, was it Robin Asquith was or Robin it? someone else? I think it was Robin oh, it was Asquith. Was it? Oh, I don't was know. It? Anyway, we, I mean, oh. that's a big old divergence from. It is. Um, <laughs> if we go back to the burglary, while the burglary yeah, was yeah. happening, Gordon yeah. Liddy and Howard Hunt, who were two of these Washington plumbers, yeah, um, they were in another room at the complex, that's, sort of as right. the liaison, right, for the five yeah. burglars. Now they didn't get caught at the burglary. But they'd been yeah. there orchestrating it. Now, yeah. the FBI are doing their own investigation. And it turns out, spoiler alert, that we don't know this until 2005. But yes. Deep Throat, the FBI informer oh. that has been given feeding all this information to not just the Washington Post, actually also, I think, to the New York Times as well. Okay. Um, or Time magazine as well, I think. Yeah. He is Mark Felt, who is uh, an FBI the agent for 30 years. And second in command. He's second in command. Well, you see, there's theories. Some people say Mark Felt's family would tell you that he was doing it out of a sense of patriotic duty. Yes. However, he had been just been passed over for head of FBI to someone who didn't who didn't <laughs> have sounds, any. Um, I like your theory. I like that theory yeah. better. Embittered, embittered, you know, failed boss. That's right. Because you'd had Herbert Hoover had been head of the FBI. Yeah, yeah. He'd gone, and a guy called Pat Gray was the presidential nominee. 
to take yeah. over. And he was a guy who had no actual sort of experience in law enforcement. So Mark yeah. felt was a bit pissed off that he'd been passed yeah. over for it. But it wasn't just like uh, the messages left on answer phones. It was all very, very clandestine and spy thriller, wasn't it? The way the messages oh, were handed they, over. So they met in a parking garage, um, which is yeah. now apparently like you could do walking tours that take you there to right. the garage where Bob Woods was yeah. and he would meet. But they wouldn't make phone calls. So... Um, I, I think it's Bob Woodward would put a certain plant pot out on his balcony or something. That's right. Um, yeah, and and Mark like, felt would know it, that that meant he wanted a meeting in this underground yeah. garage. Yeah. Um, That's hilarious. And uh, he'd said, and and so the, the, the name Howard Hunt was in the address book. Uh, right. So, so on, uh, of the one, burglars. Yeah. So the burglars, yeah. when yeah. the police brought the burglars in, they had certain possessions with them. Um, and in... There were several of their address books, not just one, either E.H.H. or Howard Hunt. Or I think one of them said W.H. for White House. Double House. Double, um, w House. Yeah, W yeah. House. That's it. Um, so there were these connections between Howard Hunt and the White House in their notes, which seems a rookie error to me. Yeah. So um, Woodward just. So if I just this bit I read about mm. which Woodward just thought, well, I'm just going to ring the White House. And yeah. asked to be speak to Howard Hunt. Yeah. And they went, oh, just putting you through. Yeah. And they put him through and they said, uh, Charles, Cow it, was, it was straight through to uh, the special counsel of uh, Nixon. Yeah, Charles Colson. Sort of so Charles, Charles Colson, Colson was yeah. the special counsel. And yeah. I think they, because he tried to get to Howard Hunt and, and the operator was like, oh, I think he's in Charles Colson's office and just puts him straight through yeah. Yeah. The, from the Washington Post. So, um, so this is all in the summer of still. We're still in the summer, are we, of seventy uh, two of election year? Or have yeah. we got through to the autumn yet? Uh, not quite. We're still just in the summer. Um, yeah. The Washington Post they are very careful about what they print at this point. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously it's all an anonymous tip off from now. The famous tip off that uh, Deep Throat gives to Bob Woodward is to follow the money. Yeah, tip off. Yeah. That's the advice he gives. It's follow the money. These guys were bailed out the five things with a with a large amounts of money. They were. Where's that coming from? And they also yeah. they had, I believe, they had dollar bills on them that were yeah. traceable directly back to the campaign for re-electing the president. That's right. They're brand new notes. Yeah, they're all brand yeah. new notes in sequence. Yeah. Yeah. And... Again, rate rookie error. When I burgle yeah. a place for political, you know, when I burgle the conservatives, I always <laughs> never unmarked notes on me. <laughs> It just—it does seem so like they—they was—they yeah. thought they were so invincible. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it yeah, just were, shows, doesn't it? Because they were so yeah. careless, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, considering one of the burg or two of the burglars, I think were ex-CIA. You'd think they'd be covering their tracks a little better, better yeah, yeah, than yeah. they did. Um, so at this point, still, we're we're ramping up towards the election. So we get to and the autumn, but none yeah. of this is really national. Yeah, on the like, front pages sort of, or anything, it's not. It's for the political anoraks, isn't it? It's for the like people going, oh, you know, the paranoid people like you and me. Exactly. Going, oh, you should be looking at this. Look at this. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing that should be said is that Nixon is miles ahead in the polls. He's oh like, yeah, all the way through this, he could have won the election with a landslide without ever stealing the shoes in the hotel corridors. You know. Yeah, they didn't um, need to be doing any of the stuff that. But like I said, it was a game. I think it's to do with Nixon's paranoia mm. and absolute total sort of like. Uh, well, he, lust for power. And and he got form. He got previous. I believe it was e yeah. either in his, I think in his VP campaign, he yeah. got known as Tricky Dicky. There was a Democratic candidate he was up against and he basically looked at her voting record. Um, right. And I think this was when he was, I can't remember the exact election, but looked at her voting record and saw that she happened to vote in the House in the same way 
as a somebody who'd been outed as a communist and so made that okay. connection that therefore she must she also a be a communist and and right. to completely discredited her Worse than that, he, in his 68 election campaign, secretly undermined the Vietnam peace plan to, oh. to keep the Vietnam War going to help his election chance. Mm. So, so American boys died because of him secretly contacting the head of South Korea's government yeah. um, to, to walk out of the peace he, plan. I mean, he campaigned in his 68 election. was very much yeah. on a... It was on peace. a ticket of peace, right? It was on yeah, a yeah. peace with honour was his sort of yeah. slogan. And about how enough's enough with Vietnam and we need to, yeah, what, yeah. you know... That was his, but actually was completely undermining that. Yeah. In he's order a terrible man. So a terrible man and uh, absolutely yeah. not altruistic and completely politically motivated. Yeah, yeah. Complete, yeah. So um, he was up against George McGovern was the uh, Democrat candidate there. Not a name we remember. No. But he was uh, he was the sort of full guy for the Democrats in 1972. He was indeed. So take us, take us through the autumn then, Angela. On September the 15th, 1972, E. Howard Hunt and Gordon Liddy, they are the two guys who... Um, they're the burglars. Well, no, they're not the burglars. They were the two guys the, in the other room. Um, going testing, the, testing, listening, yeah. From the, yeah. The, the plumbers, as they were yeah. known. Um, and the five burglars are all indicted by a federal grand jury. So okay. this is, I mean, this is two months before the election. Yeah. But still the link's not being made publicly between them yeah. and higher up. Later in that month, the press reported that John Mitchell, who was serving as attorney general, that he controlled a secret Republican fund used to finance this intelligence gathering against the Democrats. So this follow the money stuff is starting to come out. And on October the 10th, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, who are the two Washington Post yep. cub journalists, yeah, they yeah. report that the FBI has determined that the Watergate break-in was part of a massive campaign of political spying. Right? Wow, so the that's F a bombshell. Yeah. Uh, but has absolutely zero <laughs> effect on the, because yeah. they had no, all they had was what Deep Throat was telling them. So they had no corroborated sources. Right. And right. so uh, Ben Bradley, who was the editor of the Washington Post, was rightly, I suppose, very careful about where it appeared. Yeah. He's talking he's about of, the President of the United States. Yeah. So with, careful, without yeah. any, you know, corroborated evidence, without anyone going yeah. on record. So even though this was out there, it was sort of buried a little bit right. in the news. Right. Come November, Nixon's re-elected, 7th of November, uh, defeats George McGovern with the largest plurality of votes in American history. <laughs> so 49 <laughs> states, 49 states out of 50, I think he got, which yeah. is uh, incredible. Yeah. A, a landslide. And he must have thought that, you know, he'd go down in history as one of the great presidents and uh, would sort of uh, be remembered for this sort of great political campaign, yeah. this great victory. Little did he know well, I think it's, what I was mean, coming for his so second well term. He was so well-loved by the American people, yeah. wasn't he, Nixon? He was the, you know... At that point, I suppose. Yeah. And also he had been sort of pro-civil rights and things like that. So he'd got this image of, of a president of peace, which when you're just coming through the Vietnam War yeah. was a real, yes. what the American people really wanted. And of course, his staunch anti-communist stance. Yep. Uh, remember, he was part of the House of Un-American. We did that, didn't we? It's um, another good episode to listen yeah. to everyone. House of Un-American activities, great link there Committee. to previous podcasts. Yeah, he'd been part <laughs> of that. So um, And had remained friends with McCarthy, even after McCarthy had sort of been discredited. Yeah. So he had these strong, inverted commas, principles and was really well liked by the... American people. So, so we've got Nixon back in office. Um, I think this is a good point to take a break because it's after this that yes, it all starts. His second, <laughs> his second term. 
Let's see what happens in Nixon's second term. Go and grab a cup of coffee, listen to our sponsors, a message to our sponsors. And uh, <laughs> Angela will be back to explain whether he uh, ends his second term in triumph and um, uh, honour or whether it all starts to unravel. Dun, dun, go dun. Okay, we are back from our little break. I've just had a COVID test picked up. John, what did you do in the break? I was chatting with our I was chatting with our producer actually, Angela. Oh. I was just, you know, taking care of the workers. But you know, you go off with your fancy <laughs> tests. Just to put it, I, I, I don't think I've got COVID. The reason I'm doing a test is um I've been randomly selected as part of a university yeah, Imperial yeah. College study thing. So Is that is that that time you were randomly selected by that Nigerian prince? That's right. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah. Still waiting for that check, John. Weird, isn't it? Yeah. I can't believe it. It's been a while now. It's been a few years. So where are we? Where are we on Watergate? We are now January the 8th, 1973. Um, So we are, what, six months after the break-in? Yeah. And at this point, Judge John Sirica is leading the trial for the five burglars. And the defendants all plead guilty. And Gordon Liddy and James W. McCord Jr. are convicted. Right. Now, despite reports in the media, no connection was investigated between the Watergate break-in and the White House at this time in this trial. Right. Right. So right. although Nixon the FBI his... had been investigating it and people have got their suspicions, it's not officially been investigated. And in, on the um, 20th of January, so a couple of weeks later, Nixon's inaugurated for his second term, spotlessly he's thinking, he's thinking, I've got nothing to worry about. I've got a huge, huge uh, landslide victory. Yeah. Everything's fine for me. This little niggling, little worry in the background. Don't worry about it, mate. It's going to be fine. Now, (laughs) now, (laughs) meanwhile, uh, there's been a few changes at the FBI. Yeah. And uh, as we said, old Mark Felt was a bit pissed off because he hadn't been nominated to take Herbert Hoover's place. However, Pat Gray, who is the nominee to replace Hoover, has his nomination hearing. During his nomination hearing, he basically links John Dean, who's very high up, uh, in the yeah. Nixon administration, he links him with Watergate, right? And right. that there is a connection that he knew about the Watergate break-in. Okay. So there's now confirmation that a connection did exist okay. between the Watergate break-in at the Democratic National Convention and the, the, the White The House Oval Office. And the, the Oval, Oval Office, Office, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So at this point, the Senate votes 77 to nothing in February to create a select committee on presidential campaign activities, right? Which became known as the Senate Watergate committee. Okay. That's interesting to me because now that would split down party lines. Now, if it was Trump, he would, it would be like the Republicans would vote with Trump to do whatever he wanted. And they would say they would, but then back then there was a certain integrity to government. What, well, if the constitution is being threatened, we must vote with our consciences here. Exactly. 77 to nothing. That shows you a big change for me. Since absolutely, then. absolutely. So he's been in office two months at this point in his second term. McCord, who's one of the burglars, the one, the ex-CIA, one of the burglars, he writes a letter to the judge in the trial and he claims that some of his testimony had been perjured because he was under pressure. And he says that the burglary was not a CIA operation but did involve other government officials. Right. So, so he's pissed off. He's been the full guy. He's gone to prison. Yeah. And he's like, well, where do I, what do I get out of this? Exactly. You know? um, yeah. So he then writes to the judge, leading them directly to the White House. Now, 
a couple of days later, Nixon asked John Dean, yeah, who is the guy that the FBI nominee yeah. had mentioned, asked him to put together a report with everything he knew about the Watergate matter. So what Nixon's basically doing there is saying, you're going to be my scapegoat. Put your, na- put your name on this, John. Just put everything I know about Watergate by John Dean. And exactly. also paint a big target on your back. Yeah. And just lean over this chopping block for a minute, will you? Exactly. Basically, well, now, earlier yeah. on, Dean had asked Nixon for formal immunity from prosecution for any crimes he might have committed while being a White House counsel, right? So he got that in sign. there. And Nixon refused to grant that request, right? Right. And um, then, so Dean is having a crisis of conscience now. So Dean's maybe, yes. now like, well, if you're not going to grant me immunity, I might as well cooperate with the prosecutors. Yeah. I might as well give them what they want because you're yeah, going to, yeah. you're not going to back me up. You're not going to cover me. I'm yeah. already the scapegoat. So I might as well tell them the truth, right? Yeah. So on. March 23rd, so the next day, the Watergate burglars, along with Lydian Hunt, the two handlers, are all sentenced. They all get prison time of up to 40 years, uh, stiff fines, right? So so they have got nothing to lose now. They've got nothing to lose now. Yeah. And the following month, or the following week even in April, um, this John Dean, he starts cooperating with federal Watergate prosecutors. He starts cooperating... He, so, um, but at the yeah. same time, he's still special counsel and he's still aiding the cover up from the White House. Yes, but a load of shit gets on his head because everyone's yeah. everyone thinking he's basically a traitor to the Nixon cause. So there's loads of people trying to dig up dirt on him and yeah. trying to paint him as this maverick, uh, mad yeah. person who's lost his mind. Because remember, you've got all these guys that creep are not just sitting back and letting this happen. They are, yeah, yeah. you know, they're still going... operating in the way they've always operated. So they're trying yeah. to dig up dirt on John Dean. They're trying to discredit anyone who says anything against the White House. Yeah. So uh, end of April 1973, senior White House officials Ehrlichman, Haldeman and Richard Kleindienst all resign and John Dean is fired. Right? This so is Nixon are... trying to Nixon trying to make it look like I'm drawing a line under this. Yeah. I fired the guys. He's basically going, look what these guys have done. They're involved. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. By firing them, yeah. he's trying to distance yeah. himself yeah. from what's happening. Next thing that happens in May, and it, this all gets really complicated now, John, because what you've got... We'll skip over the complicated bits. Well, it's what, a history podcast. What, you, what you've got going on is several different investigations. You've got yeah. the Senate Watergate Committee investigation. Yeah. You've got the special prosecution, which we're about to come to. It's happening. You've yeah. got the FBI investigation. Yeah. So on different levels, this whole thing, both the burglary and the cover-up, particularly at this point, the cover-up, and the links between the burglary and the White House are being investigated in lots of different domains. Yes. Right? So yes. Um, Elliot Richardson is a man, he's Nixon's appointee for Attorney General to yes. replace, because Kleindienst, his old Attorney General, is one of the ones he's just offed or resigned. Um, yeah. So his new appointee is now having to appoint a special prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And the special prosecutor he appoints is a man called Archibald Cox, who yes. um, is now it's his job to investigate this cover-up. The special prosecutor can only be fired by the attorney general. Not by Nixon. Not by Nixon. So right. Nixon can't fire him. And, and he wasn't happy about it, wasn't he? He wasn't happy about this particular case. He wasn't happy about the um, the appointment of Archibald Cox because he was somebody that Nixon wasn't able to manipulate. Right. Um, it was somebody who I think didn't particularly trust Nixon and Nixon knew that. So Nixon's nervous now because he's got yeah. the special prosecutor that's been appointed by his attorney general to investigate him. Yeah. And yeah. he can't do anything about that. 
So this is now getting on the front pages, this story, and it's starting to really capture the imagination of the American people. Well, the Watergate hearings begin on, on the 17th of May, 1973, and they are televised gavel to gavel, as they called right. it. And yeah. the nation watches it. They watch it. They listen yeah. to it on the radio. It's it, Initially, it was broadcast simultaneously yeah. on pretty much all the channels, and then eventually the channels yeah. went, should we take this in turns? Um, yeah, so so the, the guys I work with, the Americans that I work with, are now in their 50s like me, mm. and their memory of this is all the kids' TV was was, was cancelled. <laughs> and they're re- for them, Watergate just means, where's Scooby-Doo? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's like, they like, for the, it was like this big bane of their, you know, their youth that they mm. had to have Watergate on telly the whole time. Mum, can we watch TV? It's Watergate okay. again. Mum, well, it's not fair. For my, my yeah. youth, or... The, yeah. the edges of my youth. Obviously, it was the um, OJ Simpson trot was a similar thing, wasn't it? That right, sort right. of everybody yeah. was just watching every minute. Yeah, of yeah, it. yeah. It, in fact, it, it sort of made stars really. Of the committee chairman was a man called Sam Irvin, and he was known for his. Yeah. I've seen it described in lots of places as a folksy manner, yes. but he was determined to. You know, he he was the yeah. committee chairman, and then there was um, Howard Baker was the other one who got quite famous as a committee member um, because he pre before the the hearings opened he'd promised yes. nixon said i'm your friend i'm going to see that your interests are protected but right. then as the hearings went on realized hang on a minute <laughs> nixon's guy, definitely yeah. So there, yeah so there was a presumption of innocence of the president until yeah. rock started to be turned yeah and, it and to, to the point where baker completely turned and, and was like oh hang on a minute this is this is not okay because like you said, they they wouldn't just the Republicans in the Senate weren't just voting with the president. They were trying to uphold, yeah, the constitution. The constitution, and yeah. and he's the one who famously asked the question, "What did the president know, and when did he know it?" Which is the question yes. that became the sort of catchphrase, central of catchphrase of the whole thing. Yeah. Like yeah. this is all very well, all this bit. Well, what did he know, and when did he know it? So all this has been going on, and it's mm-hmm. captured the whole country's imagination. The story of the. Uh, break-in is bizarre enough. There's a mm. detail that I've, uh, we forgot to mention, which was that when the police turned up to the break-in, mm. they were undercover, disguised as hippies. So <laughs> that was that was really weird. So there's loads of bizarre details there's, about, you know. There's so many little bits going yeah. uh, on at the set. There was um, yes. the kidnap of Martha Mitchell, which was John Mitchell's yeah, yeah. wife, and things like that. This is why we can't do all can't... of it. in No, no. Because there's so, so many weird so things is... that were happening. So this is all crazy enough. And yeah. then suddenly this revelation comes well, out this about is, inside this is the White great. House. So this is Alexander Butterfield, who was a former presidential appointment secretary. He reveals in his testimony, we're now in July. So the hearings have been going for a couple of months at this point. He reveals that all conversations and telephone calls in Nixon's office have been taped since February 1971. Fantastic. So. Every single call, and not only in the Oval Office, also in the Executive Office and at Camp David as well. And they had tape recorders set up. And what would happen is they would turn the system on whenever Nixon was at the White House or or wherever. And it would be turned on. The recording would be triggered by voice. So how do you? How do you have that many cassettes? I mean, you'd have to be going, I've got this mixtape. Can I tape over that mixtape I did for you? So we've got uh, Carol King. You've listened to Tapestry enough now. <laughs> so you've got these massive, obviously this is the 70s, so they weren't like yeah. tiny little, massive yeah, reel-to-reel 
tape recorders yeah. happening. 3,000 hours of it. Over 3,000 hours of conversation, um, around yeah. 200 of which refer to Watergate during this book, but we'll, cu- we'll come to those. So when it's revealed that these tapes exist, obviously the yeah. special prosecutor, this Archibald Cox, says to the judge, well, you need to subpoena those. There's nine relevant tapes they identified, and yeah. we need them to corroborate all the testimony we've already been given. Because, because at the John moment Dean it's is just... saying... Yeah, because the moment it's John Dean's word against, against the president. Nixon, John, right? John, De- John Dean is saying, I did tell him. And the president going, he didn't tell me. Tell me, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and so, so now we know there's all tape. these tapes yeah, of the conversations. Fantastic. So brilliant, right? Should be case closed, job done. However, Nixon refuses to surrender the tapes um, on grounds yeah. of national security and executive privilege or whatever else he can make up to cover his yeah. back. And then on the 19th of October, so this obviously, this to and froing and goes on. Yeah. We're now in October and Nixon offers a compromise. He says that the tapes can be reviewed and summarised for the special prosecutor. And I, John, can't see any problem with that. No, no. I mean, this is a hilarious sort of twist in the thing that he would uh, uh, give a transcript. This is is what we're talking about. Transcripts of the tapes. But also that Nixon said, I'll offer a neutral third party person to check the transcripts against the tapes. And then they will give a report. Yeah. So this person he chose was... (laughs) Deaf. It's like he had an old, an ancient senator from or it was an old Republican senator, wasn't it? Yeah, from he's actually Democrat, but he's from Mississippi. Oh, okay. It was bizarrely, but uh, he was deaf, and it's like (laughs) you've got to be kidding me. And I can't think of anyone more perfect for the job, John. I really. The other thing was because Nixon sat there saying these goddamn communists and these goddamn Jews, which is how he talked the whole time. They crossed out all the swear words. So it uh, had uh, bl- they blacked out. And all the way through this printed out material, it said expletive deleted, expletive deleted. And it looked yeah. like he was going motherfucker this and <laughs> yeah, shit fuck masters. But it was only saying damn. But they crossed out all the damn. damn. So it made it look much worse than it was. <laughs> oh, God. So Archibald Cox says, uh, no, not the transcripts. That's not good enough. We want the tapes. Yeah. And so the next day, the 20th of October, Nixon orders his attorney general to fire Cox. Remember, it's only the right. Attorney yeah, General yeah. who can fire Cox. Yeah. Richardson refuses because he's like, no, that's he's not right. Honor. He's got a little bit, yeah. and he resigns. So Nixon goes to the Deputy Attorney General, a man called Ruckelshouse, who also yeah. refuses to fire Cox. So he was then fired. And in wow. the end, it was sort of looking around for someone to fight because he can't do it. Who, yeah. He ends up finding uh, a guy, uh, Robert Bork, who is the acting head of the Justice Department. He's like um, the caretaker. There's a caretaker. Yeah, care. the you do it. You, Can fire you fire him. him? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Nixon appointed a new special prosecutor, yeah. Leon Jaworski, who was somebody seen as being much more sympathetic to Nixon yeah. than, than Archibald Cox. Yeah. Maybe. Now, in the meantime, the judge, Judge Sirica, has subpoenaed the tapes. Right? Got the tapes. Okay. But there is a problem. Right. Right. On the 14th of November. Right. The White House lawyers realise that there is an 18 and a half minute gap in one of the tapes recorded immediately yeah. in the aftermath of the Watergate burglary. So it was recorded that on that night in June 1972 and weirdly 18 and a half minutes of the tape is missing. So Nixon has a personal secretary, a woman called Rosemary Woods, right. and she has been his personal secretary long before he was president. Wow. And she's very close to his wife and, you know, family, friends and all of that. Right. Now, she comes forward and says, hands up, my fault, that 18 and a half minute gap. What happened is <laughs> uh, on the 29th of September, I took a phone call while I was reviewing the tapes. So I was listening to the tapes. Right. 
And I took a phone call, and instead of pressing stop to take the phone call, I accidentally pressed record. Right? And she said that for the duration of the phone call, which was only about five minutes, right. she kept her foot on the device's pedal, causing a five-minute portion of the tape to be re-recorded. Right. right? But the gap in the tape was 18 and I'm a half. I'm not buying minutes. it, Angela. She, in- she insisted she wasn't responsible for the remaining 13 minutes of buzz. You think they would have got on the stories tape. lined up. But that five- what do yeah, you think? Yeah. The the um, special prosecutor got her to. <laughs> they they were like not buying this at all. Right. So they went to the Oval Office with her. The hearing sort of went with her. Yeah. And made her replicate the position that she took to cause that accident. Because like we said before, these weren't tiny little tape recorders. This is a big old yeah, real yeah. to real thing she's working with. It was operated by a pedal. And so she sat at the desk, and it turned out that in order to answer the phone with her foot on the pedal that she said it was on. She would have to do this massive, big stretch. Where's yoga? She might phone. have been doing yoga at the well, same time, Angela. Well, they calling it the Rosemary Stretch, like <laughs> TV sketch shows and stuff. I had a field day with this. This lie. She, so while it was never it was never proved whether or not she did or didn't do it, it it's thought that she yeah. probably wasn't the one who erased the tapes. And... Um, in a later hearing, Nixon said that he thought the gap on the tape was four minutes, not 18 and a half. Right. There's just so And it's never to this day been discovered. Well, they obviously sliced on. it out. But this was this was the immediately yeah. after the break in. It shows the White House was very concerned about the break in straight away. It's him and, and Holderman, yeah. which is and his Ehrlichman, chief of staff. And yeah. I think it was just the two of them. And right. they have uh, notes that were taken like written notes. Okay. They've tried to sort of piece it together from the written notes that were taken during the conversation, but it's never been fully um, okay. so this is Octo- sort of discovered what was what was cut out. So this is all October 73. Now, and, yeah. and the other thing we should say about this is that while mm-hmm. all of Nixon's energy and time is being spent on covering his tracks and worrying about bits of tape and making up yoga positions for his secretary, mm. World War Three <laughs> is breaking out in the Middle East. It's a Yom Kippur yeah. war. And yep. uh, Israel and the Arab uh, surrounding Arab countries are in a crucial world changing war, uh, which changes the oil supply to the West and results in the quadrupling of the oil price. And, um, you know, could involve Russia, could bring in America. And all the time, the president is looking at arguing about tapes and cover ups and uh, cutting out swear words of his transcripts. And um, uh, and people were speculating on which swear word was which, which is, you know, this yeah. is no way to run a country. And again, this is exactly what we said at the top, isn't it? Yeah. This is where a government is more interested in staying in government than it is yeah. a governing. At least he's um, got, Angela, at least he's got a good vice president there ready to take over <laughs> if any of this goes wrong. Oh, we're coming on to this, aren't we? So <laughs> his vice president is Spiro Agnew. Good name. Uh, and it's a great name. That's the only great thing about him, I think, yeah. is... Uh, and so what all this is going on, this business with the tapes, yeah. this business with firing everybody, with getting live a TV every day, live TV every day. It's all going on. And then it turns out his VP has to resign because uh, he's been involved in a scandal back in Baltimore. I think he was at, when he was a, a yeah. senator, uh, a, a governor there, yeah. or governor there. That's yeah. right. And uh, he ends up being charged with tax evasion because that's what you get someone for if you can't actually get them for the thing that you yeah. want to get them for isn't it so so, um, so the vice president is a crook <laughs> so the vice president is a known crook yeah. now an outed crook so he resigns and is replaced uh, by gerald ford okay 
Um, so that happens. So that that's 1973. It's pretty chaotic yeah. in terms of, of yeah. all this to and fro and all these hearings and investigations and everything else going on. On the 1st of March 1974, a grand jury in Washington, D.C. indicts uh, members of the Nixon administration for the cover-up. So they indict Haldeman, Ehrlichman, John Mitchell, Charles Colson, Gordon Strachan, Robert Mardian and Kenneth Parkinson, all for conspiring to hinder to cover up the Watergate yep. investigation. They stop short of indicting the president. Yep. Um, is he deal. is mentioned and it is sort of... Um, known that if they all know of course he knew yeah. right they're not going to all know and the president not know but the, uh, an indictment at a grand jury isn't the way to deal with the president it's in no, sure. which we'll yeah. come on to yeah on the 11th of april the house judiciary committee subpoenaed the tapes of 42 white house conversations yeah yeah and later that month nixon released more than 1200 pages of edited transcripts these transcripts you were talking about yeah. but he refused to turn over the tapes yeah so I read a thing saying that if if at the time Nixon had put out a big gun out in front of all the press and put a big barbecue mm. and just put all the tapes on on the barbecue and set fire to them and said, this is not good for our country. He could have got away with it because he would have he was yeah. saying, you're, I'm hanging on to the tapes. You're not hearing the tapes. Then the, the mm. legal process begins to get the tapes. And that's what finally yeah. was his undoing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, he you know, he talked a lot about national security being the reason the tapes can't be released executive privilege yeah executive privilege all of those yeah. things now on the 9th of may 1974 four more hearings in the impeachment inquiry of nixon begin um and they culminate in july uh, 1974 where members of the and it's a democratic-led judiciary committee right eventually approved three articles of impeachment okay yeah so it looks like he's going to be impeached in the meantime, there is something which is so tantalisingly called the smoking gun tape. That sounds good. So on the 5th of August, 1974, yeah. the White House released a previously unknown audio tape uh, that was taken on June the 23rd, 1972. That's three days after yeah. the break-in. And it clearly documents the initial stages of the cover-up. Right? Right. It reveals that Nixon and Haldeman, uh, they have a meeting in the Oval Office during which they discuss overtly how to stop the FBI from continuing its investigation of the break-in. Right. So Nixon had asked his chief of staff, Haldeman, to, to get up. the CIA to put pressure on the FBI yep. to drop the investigation. Uh, and, and it's uh, all in the tapes. But prior to that, Nixon had denied any involvement in the scandal that he had uh, no... Yeah, said he had no, no knowledge, knowledge of, of it. it. And he said he had no knowledge, more to the point, before March 1973. Right. Yeah. But these tapes are from yeah. three days after it in 1972. Yeah. It's so not looking good. It's not looking good. It's not looking good. All of the, his protestations are, in, are, are falling away. And it's suddenly very obvious to everybody. The president has lied consistently to the nation. There's yeah. no getting away from it. He's lied to the nation, to his closest aides, and even to his own lawyers his, 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 for more than two years. His political polling drops 30 points. You know, from from being yeah. this huge landslide winner the year before, uh, suddenly he's on the lowest ever rating. There's people, there's constant demonstrations in Washington, and uh, you know the comics are having a field day. Nixon is looking more and more it's isolated. Not looking good. Before, um, <laughs> during this period, so uh, I mean, spoiler alert, he ends up resigning. Yeah. But we'll get to that in a minute. But before he resigns, um, this just shows what these these blokes are like. Yeah. That you've got Ehrlichman and Haldeman, who are two of the people who have been indicted by a grand jury now. Yeah. They're, you know, White House administration. 
they try to get Nixon to grant them pardons before yeah. he goes. Yeah. So that they've got immunity to prosecution, which he refuses to do. So he cuts them loose, all the people who've been trying absolutely. to cover up for him. He's he wants them to take the rap for him. He's absolutely not gonna help any of them. Yeah. This smoking gun tape, that has destroyed him politically. Yes. Right? It's just so his support in Congress has now all but disappeared. There's just and the Republican leaders of the Senate and the House, they meet with Nixon and basically say, Look, mate, this is this, you're, you're done. Yeah. If you don't resign, you're going to be impeached. There's no way you're not. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And so realizing he's got no chance of staying in office, public opinion is yeah. not in his favor anymore. Uh, Nixon decides to resign. And on the evening of August the 8th, 1974, he does his very famous televised public address to the nation. Yeah. Um, in which he says, I have never been a quitter. So I was thinking, yeah, until you that bit quit. You quit. I mean, um, I mean he, was, he was going on television all the time throughout this to talk to American yeah. people. He's going, I am not a crook and, uh, mm. and there will be no whitewash at the White House. Uh, it's not a bad impression, I think. You'll agree. Um, <laughs> and uh, I remember we were on the beach in France uh, when this, my dad came back to get a Guardian. He got a Guardian from the newsagent in Brittany, of course. So, you know, and he goes, <laughs> I remember him going, Nixon's resigned. And that was, I remember what a massive deal that was. It was like... Mm. Uh, uh, even me at the age of 12 was like, oh my God, the American president was resigned. Um, yeah. But and the thing I'll say about that moment when he resigned, uh, he had been looking more and more desperate, like a Shakespearean tragic hero in the final act, you know, clutching at any straw he could. And then he resigned yeah, just... and he gives this speech in, in the White House to all his staff. And if you can watch it on tape, and it's a great speech. It's like, always do your best. <laughs> Always strive to be a great person. And it's like this incredible piece of oratory he does. And you think, well, there's yeah. the politician he started out as. And it's yeah, like yeah. it's like a, a final reminder of how he got to be such a powerful and influential politician. For the, well, it's you know. it's that thing, though, isn't it? It's having the, the, the public face and the private yeah, face yeah. and the, the, the desperation to win yeah. no matter the cost is well hidden from the public, isn't yeah. it? And so he's got those two faces. They've always been there. Yeah. Um. You know, but Tricky Dicky in the end just yeah. got caught. And uh, so, so um, Gerald Ford becomes president. And he does. He'd never been elected as VP or as president. And he's no, the only person suddenly to, finds himself as president. He's the only person never to serve in either office, never having been on an electoral mm. ticket. So suddenly for, yeah. for, for two years, the Americans, two and a half years, the Americans have got a president who got never... A completely unelected yeah, president. Yeah, which is a bizarre sort of um, system. Now, at this point, Nixon could still have been prosecuted on a federal or state level. Yeah. Uh, criminal prosecutions could still have happened because he's clearly guilty. Yes. Um, however, on September the 8th, 1974, Gerald Ford, who's now president, issues a full and unconditional pardon of Nixon, which then immunises him from any prosecution. Massive gasps of breath across all 50 states. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, so what the just fuck? In w- <laughs> Exactly. And that, Sort of was that yeah. for Nixon. Um, he continued to proclaim his innocence till he died in 1994, which to me is... Yeah. I mean, how... It's believing your own lies, isn't it? It's the true it sign is. of a sociopath. The historians are divided on the pardon. Uh, some are saying justice must be seen to be done. Others, quite a few yeah. people I read, were like, it, it, it was did not go down well at the time, but it drew a line under it and allowed America to move forward rather than a court case dragging on for five years, which would have dominated the American news. So in a sense, yeah. If it the was impeachment like, had happened, it yeah. would have been yeah, yeah. So it would have been, would have been it, it would have been, been a criminal investigation, I think, and that could have gone on forever uh, and appeals yeah. and stuff. So what Gerald Ford was, let's let's move on to losing Vietnam yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah, we can't, we can't, yeah, we've got we've got wars to we've lose. Got, Come on, guys, yeah, we've got humiliation <laughs> in uh, Southeast Asia to proceed with. Um, so in 
end to the Watergate scandal. Yeah. It resulted in 69 government officials being charged and 48 being found guilty. That is a lot. And the word gate being attached to every scandal afterwards. And the word gate being attached to every scandal afterwards. Henry Kissinger was famously the Secretary of State, National Security Advisor for yeah. Nixon. Um, now, he predicted during Nixon's final days that history would remember Nixon as a great president and that Watergate would be relegated to a minor footnote. I don't oh, think so. I, <laughs> I don't think, think not, so. Henry. Um, um, yeah. Later on in 1976, I think it was, the Frost Nixon interviews happened. Yes. So um, I think Nixon had previously been interviewed by British right. journalist David Frost and had had sympathetic interviews with him before, so assumed he would be sympathetic again. Yeah. And I think it was quite caught out. I've never actually watched because there's well, obviously the film the and the film play. Is one of, it's one of those it, but... things where uh, film uh, history is rewritten to make the drama a bit better. So it's like, right. oh, we got this brilliant apology out of him. My memory at the time was that Nixon sort of managed to redeem himself a little in those interviews and came across mm. quite well and handled them pretty well. Although, you know, it's more interesting writing to say there was a great uh, moment when uh, Frost gets the apology that America never got. But I'm not sure that's how it felt at the time. Uh, it's right. my cynical take on that. Richard Nixon died in 94. I remember I was writing Hello, I Got News for You at the time. We did some cynical joke about it. Oh. It got a huge laugh in the room. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, he died and we said, and, yeah, welcome to Who Have I Got News for You, the uh, topical news programme, which is bang up to the minute. And if you're watching Mr. Nixon, we wish you a speedy recovery. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, But uh, yeah, he died and he lives on, of course, in the um, in Futurama, in the, uh, uh, in the test it, tube. It, yes. So, so most <laughs> people probably most young oh, people yeah. know probably know Nixon as their bloke in the uh, in the test tube in Futurama. The test tube in Futurama. Yeah. Yeah. Although I mean, Futurama's pretty old yeah, now, it is, isn't it? it? Is most young me, people now it? probably don't know what Futurama oh, is. We'll do one on that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's Watergate. So that, in a very small nutshell, is Watergate. I mean, yeah, I think I think you did a good so job there, Angela. And turns it's, a, along it's, a, the way. it's a tricky one to boil down, but I think mm. you you made an entertaining narrative. You 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 got us through it, and. And I think what it was was that before Watergate, America presumed trust in the politicians, and after Watergate, they didn't. They didn't yeah. uh, and I think that's what's so uh, significant about it. You know, we've got a worse president in the White House now. Uh, but who I, would have thought? I, I would it? say Nixon is probably the worst. Apart from that, there was one who was impeached in um, after uh, Lincoln, uh, Johnson, I think. Mm. But uh, Watergate was a watershed. I think we can say. Oh, beautifully <laughs> done, John. High-fiving across Zoom there. <laughs> oh, mate, I can't do anything else now. That is uh, lovely. So <laughs> that's all uh, for this episode. It is indeed. Please do um, go on to iTunes and rate and review us. Give us five stars. If you go don't, on, we will uh, do a Dirty Tricks underhand campaign and bug, bug <laughs> your phone. We'll be, we'll be creating many false identities to put, give ourselves five stars and then denying it when we're caught. <laughs> and then it's fine because I haven't pressed play and record on this yeah, recording that's right. so we're fine we'll, uh, 18 um, minutes of our podcast will be missing <laughs> <laughs> so yes do do tweet us um, yeah. let us know your suggestions pod on Twitter um, we we are on Instagram but I never ever look at oh, it no, so yeah, ignore us on Instagram we, um, we ignore that. us on that yeah. but Twitter's the place where we, we sort of can reply and respond and stuff um, thank you for listening and, We'll be back again, next week. hopefully, next week. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Bye.